period, yeah. I'm a black, brown, and indigenous. Gotta holla if you really feeling this. Gotta holla if you really real enough. Other rappers is delirious. Yeah, it's really that serious. Better holla if you really feeling me. I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy. If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy. We gonna win in the end, yeah, we gonna live in abundance. I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy. If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy. We gonna win in the end, yeah, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna. I gotta keep it a hundred. We gotta stop all the stunting. You know we coming from nothing. Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing. We gotta do something different. We gotta change how we living. We gotta do better for women. We gotta do better for children. We gotta listen to victims, whether Jewish or Muslim or Christian. It doesn't matter your religion. You gotta stand against the system, or else you're just another villain. How you just sitting there chilling? Good afternoon, everyone. Um, um, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is again your host, Jamar Jabari. And if you love this content, please definitely like, subscribe. I am on every platform. And let me tell you something. I have a very awesome guest here today. Um, his name is Marcus Smart. Uh, is it Swartz? <laughs> I don't want to ever mask your, your name. You got it. Okay, awesome. Pleased to, pleased to see you again, brother. Um, he is a world-renowned percussionist. Um, he has a band uh, that is called... Actually, I don't even want to massacre, massacre the name. You could just give me the name of the band. <laughs> well, everything I do that's sort of... Uh, I'm That I'm responsible for or the so-called leader of is under the umbrella term of LACU, Brooklyn, L-A-K-O-U. And LACU is a Haitian Creole term that we could get into later. But um, yeah, so anything that I'm doing is LACU, Brooklyn, but I'm also, you know, uh, a sideman and supporting cast member on a lot of other people's projects who are uh, far more renowned and talented than I am. So I'm very fortunate to be involved in a lot of different great music. So. Oh man, you you are amazing though. I have listened to even your your self pro, your, your self proclaimed projects on Spotify, and um, I, I'm a percussionist myself, but I have nothing like guys. When I talk about this on the podcast, so I'm just being a percussionist. I only have like a year or two involved. This man is a veteran, and he is freaking nasty. I've saw him play um, multiple times, and. Let me hey, tell you something. Next you to are getting the education when you listen to that drum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did, yeah. and yeah. it was so much of a learning experience, um, and just showed me where I need to be as a as a musician, um, and how to get there. And he also, you also do music classes as well too. You're an educator. Yeah, but one thing I was just going to say, man, is that um, it was your spirit of inclusiveness and openness um, when I came into kind of your scene that allowed me to be able to immediately say, yes, I'm happy to do your podcast without knowing anything about it. That's just credit to your character. So thank you for being the person oh. you are in the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I really I really do appreciate that. Um, we, we So I, I have Marcus on. Um, to talk about not only just his career, which we're going to get into, I wanted to first also talk about what's happening um, in Haiti. And we're not going to get into like a full political conversation about it because we are not experts. And I, and I think it's important that the dialogue is to be listening to what the working class people of Haiti want and to express how they feel instead of just getting your um idea of what this thing could be or what it could be about um just off of the news which always just gives their unbiased opinion 24 7 unbiased very biased <laughs> opinion uber biased <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> uber biased yeah man i mean uh, sadly and i saw you posting about this on socials 
right now you can't find out anything because nobody's talking about it in the mainstream media. You know, um, it seems like right. the world powers are gearing up uh, and let's not beat around the the bush, so to speak, uh, about the issue at hand, which is that the person who is sort of um, the person who's sort of a leader, the leader in quotes, I'm sorry, someone's calling my phone. I'm trying to ignore it. Um, uh, Ariel, <laughs> he's, he is, uh, you know, illegitimate. Uh, the people don't want him there. The U.S. is propping him up, and he is the one that is both simultaneously calling for mm. international security forces and creating the insecurity that exists in the country in the first goddamn place. So it's it, talk about hypocritical. That's mm. like the epitome of hypocrisy right there. He's making the mess and calling mm. in support, saying he can't clean up the mess. And the people are taken to the streets daily. Um, there is a huge security problem there. There is a huge gang and criminal element. They are very well armed, more so and more organized than the police. They're in cahoots with both the government and mm -hmm. the elite private sector who control all the business. Um, they've essentially now mm -hmm. shut down access to gasoline. Uh, there's not much electricity available on a good day in Haiti, but now it's way worse. Um, Consequently, between the insecurity and the lack of resources, there's no schools. The hospitals are barely functioning, if at all. Um, kidnapping is still a very big problem there. So, you know, it's not that there is not a crisis going on in the people's day-to-day -day lives. There is. But for this man to stand up and say he's trying to preserve democracy or represent anything about the interests of the people is, in my opinion... A crack, uh, mm -hmm. a crock of, you know, caca, as they would say in Haiti. So that's just, mm -hmm. you know, my little five five cent headline there. <laughs> well, hey, listen, you open up a lot of information that a lot of people don't know, for instance, about the gangs also being affiliated with government influence. Um, that w a lot of people are hearing that the only issue that is the gangs and it's nothing else. And that is why a lot of people are I'm seeing being pro this invasion and they don't get what this invasion could mean. Uh, Haiti has been invaded multiple times by the U S absolutely going back, going back to the 1915 to 1930 or something when the Marines were at the behest of a combination of wall street and the U.S. government uh, on the ground in Haiti, you know, manipulating the political environment, uh, pillaging from the Federal mm -hmm. Reserve, stealing, literally stealing gold. I mean, there were some great articles in the New York Times a few months ago. Those of us who are daily involved with Haiti and certainly almost all Haitians that I know are aware of this history already, but the vast majority mm -hmm. of the rest of the world and certainly, you know, our ignorant citizenship here in the United States has no clue about that history. And it, it really is a continuum of an ongoing struggle uh, today that has been going on, you know, in one way or another, ever since Haiti uh, claimed her independence and, you know, fought so valiantly mm -hmm. to overthrow the slave masters. And, and, you know, there's always a narrative in the press. There's what we who are, have uh, dedicated our, our lives to Haiti and to Haitian ideals talk about as the phrase and that phrase is the poorest country mm -hmm. in the western hemisphere and you can't read an article in a major media magazine or journal or outlet without them using that phrase that's sort of like a way right. to paint Haiti as nothing more than a destitute hopeless place that needs the help of benevolent neighbors to get their shit together and that as we know is nonsense um that's the spin, you know, but uh, I fight in my music and right. my my activism around Haiti. I fight for a different phrase, and that would be the first black independent nation in the Western Hemisphere, not the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Right. And if you're talking about cultural riches, Haiti's one of the richest places in the Western Hemisphere. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's good to it's good to for us, you know, especially in this time of book banning and labeling a true history of the United States and the black experience in America as critical race theory and all the other stuff that's taking us backwards instead of forwards as a society. It's good to have these 
conversations. It's crucial to have these conversations. Yeah, it is. And it's it's so it's so different when you look around the world because people in other countries, they are able to have these conversations. We are literally like told as Americans that we shouldn't have these conversations because it makes people uncomfortable, like the, the standard, we don't talk politics here or anything, but it really doesn't give us a chance to learn because it's the perfect message for them to just spew whatever they want on the news. And of uh, uh, course, we're going to just look at that first, not knowing that there are other outlets, which makes it so much easier to push that one narrative, which is why it's we always bring the music, politics, and culture here because I feel like it all coincides one. Politics fuels musicians. Musicians have talked about politics 24-7. Music is a part of culture. Culture gives us music. Without culture, there would be no music, honestly. Um, so all three of those aspects are just so important, um, and which is why we label it here in this podcast, <laughs> Music, Politics, and Culture. But back to um, the subject at hand, I think it's also important that that the West needs Haiti to never thrive because Haiti has exposed that they can, do not have power in the past in 1804, that all men could bring out their own destiny and their own identity. And that is what Haiti gave in, uh, as a sovereign nation. And not only that, they freed and helped so many other countries. And this is 60 to 80, I think 60 years before the Civil War, they were already doing the abolition movement, a black abolition movement of fighting the master and freeing themselves before the Civil War happened. And we, we, we have to talk about that and remind people on why this is so important because that cultural and colonialism tension is still here today but practiced in a, in a different way. Haiti is being treated as a colony when they are an independent nation which this is a democracy that they should dictate on their own but the U.S. still has the power to bring in a man that was not voted in and, <laughs> and also back him when there's trouble People not only be was very, he very, very cautious. Yeah, not only was he Go not ahead. voted into uh, his current uh, position as prime minister in Haiti, the Haitian government structures, you have a president and a prime minister. Um, the prime minister is appointed by the president. Um, not only was this uh, at best a shady transition of power, but he's also near the top of the list of suspects in the assassination of the very president that he's now, you know, ruling by decree because that man was murdered in his home, you know? Um, so. Wow. It, I forgot about that yeah, part. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible situation all the way around. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, at this point in time, I think a lot of us are just holding our breath to see what form this intervention is going to take or this invasion is going to take. And holding your breath is, you know, unless you're underwater, is never a good idea. Um, but it's sort of hard to even know like <laughs> where to aim, where to aim the uh, the resistance at this point. Um, I think a lot of it has to be at the power structure and the governmental setup in Haiti. And a lot of it also has to be at U.S. foreign policy, you know, and, um, you know, right. right right, now, a lot of more, quote unquote, progressive people might think that, oh, well, Democrats are in power. And so our policies vis-a-vis -vis, um, foreign policy and immigration are going to be more tolerant, more human humanitarian. And, and certainly in Haiti's case, it's not the case at all, as we saw at the Texas border last year. No or earlier this year, I should say. Um, and it continues, you know, and uh, Haitians have been being rounded up and repatriated, repatriated. That's a kind way to say shackled and put on planes and put <laughs> and sent back to their country without yeah. due process, without people being able to hear their causes, you know. Um, and if you look at the route that a lot of 
these migrants who are some combination of chasing a, a sustainable level of existence um, for themselves and or fleeing persecution. And it's definitely some of both. If you look at the route that these poor folks have taken coming all the way up a lot of times through Brazil, walking all the way from South America to our border, um, it's, wow. it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's, it is really crazy. Yeah. It's not, it's not jumping in a boat so much anymore. You know, the route is much per more perilous in a different way and much longer and more fraught with passing through multiple countries without having documentation. Um, a lot of Haitians are taking quote unquote shelter in the Dominican Republic, which also has a history of being very racist and very oppressive towards Haitians. Um, so that's not, you know, it may look like a paradise comparatively speaking, but it's not a friendly place for Haitians to try and make a life for themselves either. So, you know, something's got to give, man. Mm -hmm. Something's got to change. And, you know, just to, just to, because we, we, we're going to switch to our next talking point, um, but just to add, elaborate on what you said about the Dominican Republic, um, the, the, the colonialism and the separation is just so strong. Um, and it's 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 so sad seeing the tensions between uh, the Dominican Republic and how they feel towards Haiti. Um, and I've saw so many of my Dominican friends, but luckily there was more that were sympathetic to Haiti. But there was also some that were encouraging and saying, yeah, they need to get invaded again. And I got into a few spats. I'm like, you guys were invaded too by the Americans and they killed 3,000 of you. They slaughtered 3,000 of you when they invaded the Dominican Republic. You don't know what you're wishing. You don't see this as a solution. If, if you do, you are bugging. This is not yeah. a solution at all. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's nuanced, you know. I think we want to listen to the Haitians who are living in Haiti, I think that it's easier for the diaspora, the community outside the country to look in and say, no, we don't want that under any circumstances. And it's an understandable gut reaction, of course. And I agree with it. But I also, mm -hmm. I'm also spending time listening to what Haitians who are living in Haiti day to day and dealing with the fact that they literally are homebound at this point. And that's what all my friends are saying. Unless you have mm -hmm. to go out, you stay home. And the fortunate of us get to eat once a day. That is the reality of the majority. Even that's like the, the higher end of the curve in terms of living conditions. There are folks that are starving to death. So for us to sit back right. in the relative comfort of America um, or the diaspora community, wherever that is, Canada, France, et cetera, and say, no, you know, we, we, we can't accept this. I totally get it. I'm against it too. I saw what the United Nations troops did to mm -hmm. Haiti when they were sent down there. They brought cholera and rape, right. you know, right. large proportions, fathered lots of, of children with women or, or girls as young as, you know, definitely underage. Um, so mm -hmm. to think about, um, and now they're saying they don't want it to be a they don't want it to be a United Nations force. It, it almost sounds like they're asking for soldiers of fortune or a mercenary kind of troop to come down there. And that would be the absolute yeah. worst thing ever because those guys are going to be indiscriminate. Yeah. They're not going to yep. have nuance. You know, the UN troops already fired into neighborhoods where gang members were holed up and killed innocent people in the, in the, in the crossfire. These people forget it, man, you know? Um, so I get it. But it's also there is nuance there and we have to understand that people are in crisis. Um, you know, I heard a story the other day that the level of hunger, the food crisis, this was on NPR, the food crisis level that mm -hmm. uh, the worst neighborhoods in Port-au-Prince, which is the capital of Haiti, which is an area called Cité Soleil that has. I don't even know how many thousands of people living in there, but it's a lot of folks. They said that the hunger food crisis has reached a level that has never been reached before um, in this part of the world. It's, it's, it's at a point where if there's not an intervention soon, um, and the problem is that food deliveries get hijacked because of the gang presence and because the gangs control neighborhoods, specific crucial 
passage points to get from point A to B. And there's a, the infrastructure in Haiti is limited both by mountains, but also just by years of neglect and lack of proper development. Um, there's only, you know, a handful of ways to get around. And, and you know, this is was going back all the way even to the earthquake 10 years ago where food things were getting high, uh, food deliveries and water deliveries were getting hijacked. Um, and we sent troops in there just to escort these things. That I think I could s at least watch and say, okay, I get it. It's needed. You know, this food's got to reach mm -hmm. the people that need it. Medical supplies have to reach the people that need it. Water, mm -hmm. clean water, which is a huge problem right now, has to reach the people that need it. So that's mm -hmm. my take on it as a, yeah. a non-political person who cares deeply about Haiti and is trying to make sense of this situation. Uh, yeah, definitely. I respect that. And I love how you gave a breakdown of the history of the past uh, with the even with UN. And a lot of people don't even. I mean, I know about it because I'm very like intuitive with it, but that's because I chose to read about it. But a lot of people yeah. chose not to. And they don't yeah, know. Yeah, they were there for years. And they, when they they hit, when they, how does the thing? Sorry, man. Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, I said I was just saying they were oh, there no, for years. They really here. Yeah. yeah, they were there for years. I, I was um, there in but Haiti. But on a lighter time. subject. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying I was there and for, you know, I saw them. I saw their, their bases. I saw them driving around in their trucks with their, you know, automatic weapons. And, um, you know, I also saw footage of them dumping sewage from their latrines into the rivers that was probably why cholera popped up in Haiti after not having been there for a hundred years. Oh my God. Yeah. And again, a lot of people don't know this history and it's good that we talk about this. And I hope that people that hear this get a fuller understanding and not, um, I, I'm, I'm, I want you all to just like, not at all listen to CNN sometimes look further look further you got to talk to talk to your fellow Haitians talk to someone that that knows more instead of just you know just accepting what narrative um but to go on to a lighter subject <laughs> um this was a very great uh, exchange here and I hope a lot of people have learned a lot and one thing that that um, I love about your career and looking at it is just how influenced uh, Haitian uh, culture um, is is in within your craft and just the accent you the accent on your drums. Uh, people should listen to here. There's an accent that is very strong that that I can. I it's like a signature. I can tell when it's you. Um, the same thing, same thing with, with the homie Eric uh, from Light Words. There's a signature in his guitar where I can tell that it's him. Um, and, and that's a level that takes a long time uh, to get to. Um, if you could touch on your journey on being able to be such a, one of the greatest percussionists in the world, honestly. <laughs> um, sure. Well, well, thank you very much for that. Um... I am constantly being humbled by the uh, genius level of percussionists around the world. And I mean, I certainly don't count myself in that crew, but what I do aspire to, um, you touched on, which is to have my own voice on the instrument. Um, and also in some way, I feel like if I can contribute to the tradition in some way, if I can have a legacy that contributed even something small, then I would feel like my life's work was accomplished. And, you know, I feel like there's been some signs, enough signs of that happening along the way that I haven't quit yet. Um, so not that I really have a choice because it's something that I love so deeply. I really can't even separate it from other parts of who I am at this point. Um, but um, I've been really deeply fully fully immersed um, in Haitian music, traditional Haitian music, specifically Haitian drumming. 
uh, for over 30 years now. Um, as a young percussion student, it didn't take me very long to realize that taking a cross section of African and African diaspora uh, drum traditions, whether you're looking at the music of West or Central Africa, um, or how those musical influences traveled across the Atlantic and manifested in the musics of Cuba or Brazil or Puerto Rico or lots of other places in New York. In the Americas, it kind of, in, in the United States, it manifested in a different way because of our draconian uh, crackdown on Africans not being allowed to play drums other than in Congo Square. And I think most people know that history. That was really the only place and it was one day a week. And even that one spot, one day a week gave birth to, you know, jazz music and funk and a lot, a lot of other things that, you know, have led to where we are today with, with our, our musical output um, as a culture here in the United States. Um, Hell yeah. But uh, I realized that Haiti, largely through a, a lot of the circumstances that we touched on, the lack of infrastructure, it being cut off from the West um, by the 1804 at the end of the Haitian Revolution, it was almost like some traditions that the Africans there used to fortify themselves spiritually, culturally, um, in every way, physically, uh, to fight that war. A lot of those things revolved around drumming in one way or another. And a lot of those traditions although they were shared and mingled to form what we call a Creole culture, they were also kept intact more or less um, in a way that is very special. So that by focusing solely my studies in Haiti, I was able to find things from so many different cross-cultural sources um, wow. that it was enough, you know, and when I started meeting drummers from Haiti, you know, born and raised in the traditional, in the traditions there, and learning from them, they all said the same thing, which is that there is no one person that knows all of the rhythms that exist in our country because it's too vast. It's too, it's too <laughs> dynamic. It's too diverse. Every yeah. little corner of the country has its own thing. So that, um, along with meeting some influential people fairly early on in my studies um, who led me to go and, and travel and spend time in Haiti and start learning the language and start really embedding myself in the culture in a deeper way. Um, that was sort of how I took that step into the, into the culture. And I like to say like the door was open for me. I took a step in and then the door slammed shut behind me um, mm. and not in a captive way, but more of like, I've found my home kind of way. Like I don't need to look any further. Um, you know, the, the generosity, the encouragement, the inclusion, the love, the mutual respect that I found in the community, um, was really deep. Um, maybe some of that revolved around the fact that the first time I went to Haiti, it was during one of many <laughs> ongoing rough times, um, in the country. There was a coup d'etat, the military had mm. taken over the government. There was a State Department warning telling all American non-essential employees to leave, you know, and there was a, an oil embargo. So there was no gas really to be found except like on the street in the black market. Um, there was fights breaking out at gas stations and, you know, all the stuff that happens when people start to panic when their resources get taken away. Um, right. You know, people call it rioting. I call it panicking. You know, I mean, it's like it's human nature whether it's in New Orleans or or anywhere else in Haiti, you know, uh, in Newark, in, in LA, you know, when people have had enough and they can't take it anymore, they're going to start manifesting, you know, physically that, that right. frustration. So um, that was when I went to Haiti for the first time. And I think there was a certain amount of respect that I got from people just for the fact that I showed up. You know, mm. it's almost, you know, it was sort of a, an in some ways, maybe an unfair advantage, but uh, I, I'll, I take it. I'll take it. You know, I, I, I why do you say that? 
Why do you um, say unfair advantage? When I, I guess because I felt like I had a lot of like opportunities almost all to myself because there was nobody else around and they were just happy mm. that a Westerner, a white person, so to speak, uh, a foreigner, a blanc, as they call it in Haitian culture, would come down <laughs> there during this time when everybody was packing up and leaving if they had the option to do that. And then I kind of came down in an open-ended way. I'm just like, I'm here, I'm hanging, let's play, let's learn, take me around. And that's what happened, you know, in my, my first introduction to Haitian drumming and traveling around in Haiti was from a man named uh, Jean-Raymond Gigliot, who was part of a really influential Vodou jazz group called Fula. Um, and mm. he was just an amazing drummer, but also just super connected into this whole scene of what they call the samba movement or the musique racine. And what that means is like um, the samba, S-A-N-B-A in Creole, not samba, the rhythm from Brazil, but samba in, in Haitian. It's the Creole is like uh, somebody who's a carrier of traditions, let's call it that. Mm. Um, somebody who speaks truth to power, somebody who writes lyrics that are potent and somebody who's a, a cultural leader in their community is a samba. And there was this whole samba movement, which was basically like a black consciousness movement because although, oh, nice. Haiti, although Haiti broke those chains physically, the mental chains of colonialism are a lot more insidious. They're a lot harder to break. So there was even up until, you know, the 1980s, 90s, and even to today, there's still a stigma about embrace it, fully embracing the African side of your culture as a Haitian and especially what they call Vodou, which is the traditional spiritual belief system and way of life of the vast majority of Haitian people, you know, mm -hmm. um, so Jean-Yvon was really in the middle of this amazing community of dancers, visual artists, drummers, singers. Um, and one thing, if anybody's spent time around the Haitian community, or even if you're just an art lover and you haven't been fortunate enough to know a lot of Haitians, you know, Haiti is an artistic center of the universe. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. They produce incredible art in many different manifestations. Um mm -hmm. And they're extremely creative and, you know, recycle anything and everything from garbage into artwork. Um, you know, they're able to produce incredible musical instruments like the drum you see behind me using nothing more than a machete and fire and a couple of rough tools. Um, no electricity needed, um, a, lot of, a <laughs> lot of sweat and a lot of uh, ingenuity and a lot of creativity and also a lot of tradition being passed down, you know, because those are African traditions. Obviously, anytime you're dealing with with drums in the African diaspora, originally, it goes back to one or multiple uh, ethnic groups uh, from the motherland, right? So um, that was really my start. I don't, you know, they talk about like, if you want to learn a language that you do what they call an immersion course, uh, where you speak nothing but that language five hours a day and you're not allowed to speak English. I kind of did an immersion course into the whole culture um, when I went down there because I was like thrust into this cauldron of people just creating and sharing and living together in a very communal way. And when I mentioned the uh, laku, that word, that really implies sort of a communal lifestyle. It, it's sort of a it's a family compound, but it's sort of a way of life also. It's a way of living together. It's a way of preserving uh, common knowledge. Um, it's a way of uh, living in harmony with nature and with each other. Um, right. So I was able to kind of jump into that. And despite a lot of the challenges that were going on, travel around to the countryside, um, which is where you find really some of the deeper things. I was able to meet my teacher's teachers, which was an incredible thing. So I really, oh, that's really, dope. I sat at the foot of the elders, you know, not in a figurative way, in, yeah. a, in a literal way. When I say that, you know, there's times at certain, uh, what they call uh, dance or ceremony voodoo, where they're celebrating their ancestry and where they're singing and drumming 
and um, doing certain rituals that happen where I was able to sit in a chair and somebody's playing a drum and instead of having a stand for the drum, I'm sitting there holding mm -hmm. the drum. I am the drum stand and I have a master drummer standing here playing the drum that I'm holding. So not only am I, not only is my face five inches away from the drum head while he's playing it with a stick and a hand, but he's talking to me and telling me what's going on because in traditional drumming, there's the rhythm and there's the parts that you're playing, but there's also a larger context that informs what you play, when and why. And you're communicating with dancers and you're communicating with people who are getting the spirit and you're communicating with ritual movements that have to be accompanied by a specific traditional drum language. And it is truly a language. And so by getting that some of that kind of knowledge, that was my... Wait. <laughs> that was no, the gorgeous one. <laughs> the spirits, the spirits are talking. They want me to play. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> oh, I love that sound. So, oh, it gives me so, so much hope. From all of that, man, it was like, uh, it was um, like a graduate school, really. You know, first I got my, first I got my. Uh, bachelor's degree and then I got a master's and eventually I got a PhD just in in hanging out and in learning and in interacting with people and um it's been a long slow ongoing process and it continues to this day I'm still learning yeah and you have such a large uh this this discography I'm not saying that word correctly discography you said it <laughs> discography yeah <laughs> Oh man! Um, so you were Grammy nominee in 2019, um, uh, the best Latin jazz album. That was the the care the car the care B project. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, as I mentioned earlier on in our talk, um, I've done some of my own things, but I mm -hmm. think uh, one, <clears throat> and that's. Uh, certainly like a whole uh, set of projects and folk musical focus and work unto itself. But um, I've also been really fortunate and have found a lot of fulfillment in bringing what I've learned from the world of Haitian drumming into different contexts and collaborating with other artists who may not have that knowledge, but may be a master in another language like, you know, what they call jazz or black American music or American classical music or whatever you want to call that. I, I like, you know, black American music. I like American classical music, but most mm -hmm. people know it as jazz. So I don't shy away from that phrase either um, mm -hmm. or other styles of music as well. But in this case, uh, yeah, I was um, very fortunate to get a call from a, a Grammy-winning saxophone player uh, named David Sanchez, who uh, hey. who's played with. I mean, if anybody's interested in jazz you, and you don't know David Sanchez, you should know him. Um, yeah. He's originally from Puerto Rico, based in New York for a long time. You know, I mean, this guy was playing with Dizzy Gillespie when he was 19 years old, and has gone on. You know, had had a a large discography career back when. Music labels were actually supporting artists. I think he recorded six or seven albums for Columbia um, back in the day when that was still a thing. Um, he's played with everybody on the scene. Um, somebody who I who I grew up listening to, you know, who I grew up right. checking out. And it was one of a handful of times when one of my musical heroes, actually, I was lucky enough to get to collaborate with them or play with them. Um, but he was working on a project called Carib, which was sort of connecting some dots between the traditions in Puerto Rico and the traditions in Haiti. Um, people don't think of those two places together very often, but not only are they physically not that far away from each other, but they have a lot of shared history. Um, talk about being treated as a colony. Both of those places are still dealing mm -hmm. with that today, as we know. Um, yep, yep. But in terms of the African retentions in the 
in the Puerto Rican traditions, especially bomba and plena, um, which are ongoing and um, still widely practiced and still developing and innovating and changing. Um, but there are some older styles where he said he actually heard some Creole words in some of the songs out in the countryside. And that I think was one of many things that kind of clicked for him. And also just, you know, amongst musicians in the know, Haitian drumming's always been this sort of hip underground thing um, with a lot of connections to jazz, both through New Orleans and the Creoles that came through New Orleans back in the day, um, mm -hmm. but also um, through some jazz drummers like Max Roach and uh, Art Blakey and Elvin Jones, who are checking out a very famous Haitian drummer back in the day named Tiwo. And um, Tiwo uh, had a couple of albums of him playing solo drums that were passed around some of the jazz drum heads back in the day, and they would sort of hip each other to that recording. Um, so in any case, David took a, an interest in Haiti and he traveled there um, and he started writing music, original music based on his very deep and organic knowledge of bomba and plena and jazz, but also from some of the stuff he was hearing in folkloric field recordings from Haiti. Um, so he reached out to me and we ended up doing this record. Uh, I was a part of it along with a, a really amazing cast of other musicians, one of whom I knew already, who is an, an, a really uh, incredible jazz drummer of Haitian descent, whose name is uh, uh, Obed Calvert. And Obed is now, he was in the San Francisco Jazz Collective for a while, but he's now uh, in uh, the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra as the drummer with Wynton Marsalis. So he's kind of like, got that that chair it's like probably one of the best gigs out there in the world of jazz music um so Obed's an old friend of mine we've played together a lot um in various other bands and I think he probably put in a word for me with David um but you know I think my name was starting to get out there in certain circles so David called me and um came over to my house came to my studio we collaborated we talked we shared recordings he started showing me what he was working on and that eventually led to this record um, and uh, some touring. Um, we just played, uh, they actually dedicated the, um, they dedicated the National Jazz Festival that happens in San Juan every year. Um, it's a pretty big festival for a long time. It was like the Heineken Jazz Festival. I think they have different sponsors now. Mm -hmm. um, but this year they dedicated the whole festival to David and they had this big tribute to him and he brought Karib and we we were sort of like the headliner of that festival along with some pretty illustrious other artists. So that was pretty amazing just to see his country acknowledging him in that way. And, you know, he's still a relatively young cat because he started very young, you know, he's my generation. Um, yeah. So... David yeah. Sanchez is a bad motherfucker. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's um two two saxophone players from Puerto Rico who I've always loved, and they've kind of started young together, and then kind of went like this with their careers. Um, the other guy is also a both Grammy winning and uh, MacArthur Genius Grant receiver. His name is uh Miguel Zenon, and mm. um the two of them played together on some of David's earliest records that had a big influence on me. There's one in particular called Malasa that sort of- I gotta check that out. Yeah, Malasa kind of tells the tale of sugar cane and Malasa's harvest and, you know, in a musical way, sort of the history of who's working in the sugar cane fields and how they got there, um, mm. you know? So in his own way, talking about the legacy of enslavement of Africans and Africans in the new world and that whole thing, but it's all done strictly, um, you know, musically. It's not, um, I don't believe there's any lyrics, but certainly you can kind of get the vibe from reading the liner notes and listening, but it's just an, a really beautiful recording. Um, and I was also really, really fortunate to land in a band with Miguel Zenon um, recently, who's been another one of my heroes. So getting to work with both of those guys who are very good friends with each other. Um, and they play very differently. One plays alto, one plays tenor. Um, but they're both kind of just these super inspiring musicians just to be around. So, you know, there's definitely times when I've had to pinch myself to where I've, <laughs> where I've gotten based on where I started and, and my journey. 
That's absolutely that's absolutely dope. And 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 I I, I I encourage people to definitely check that out because it is such a great project. And also, since you know we're getting down to the wire, let's talk about it. The new album that you have out. Um the uh, it is. I haven't gotten a chance to hear it yet because I listened to your other stuff, but I'm definitely going to check it out. It's called Kaisa. Yeah, Kai. Kaisa. Kai yeah. yeah, yeah. Kai means house. Uh, Kaisa means this house. Um, it's an extract of a, a lyric from a traditional Haitian uh, folkloric song, um, which basically says, "This is a house of the spirits." Um, uh, so um kaisa i like i said I've, I've had kind of my own going my own ongoing project as well um that more recently has taken the form of a quartet um I, i'm the only percussion player and then i bring in usually some other combination of a horn uh bass whether it's upright or electric usually upright bass and um guitar and so this is my second uh, recording of what I call the Laku Brooklyn Quartet. Um, they're both out on a small audiophile label. So it's mm -hmm. a little hard. You can't stream either of these things online in their oh, entirety. Gotcha. You could you could go to my website, lakubrooklyn.com, or you could go to the website of the label, which is mm -hmm. uh, Soundkeeper Recordings. Um, um, amazing engineer named uh, Barry Diamond, uh, and he he recorded my band with one microphone, completely live, in an acoustically uh, sympathetic space. So he basically took the sound of my music and found a physical location that he thought would be best conducive to recording, very organically, much like they recorded radio back in the 1940s, like one microphone mm -hmm. for the whole band. So the way that you create your stereo mix is your position left to right. And the, the way you create your levels is how close or far away you are to that microphone. So needless mm. to say, there's no studio tricks going on. There's no cutting and pasting and redoing your solo and, you know, chopping wow. a piece from this. You got to come in. You got to be well rehearsed. You have to be listening. You have to be a very sensitive, dynamic player. Um, he came to a live gig that I had done some years ago and said, I think your band would really work well with my situation. So what I'm doing. So um, he invited me to do one. My first record was called Equinox. Um, and then I changed it up this time a bit. Uh, Equinox featured a trumpet player named Jean Caz, who's an amazing Haitian American trumpet player, currently first trumpet in uh, Michael Buble's band, but also plays a lot of jazz. Oh, really? Music. Yeah. So he's touring all these big stadiums and, you know, got his face up on the on the Megatron and stuff like that when, nice. he's, taking it, when he's taking his <laughs> solos. Um, and then uh, the second one is uh, with a saxophone player named Godwin Louis, who's also a Haitian American, uh, incredible uh, alto sax player and composer. Uh, Godwin is out there playing with the best of the best on the jazz scene these days as well. So I was really lucky to get both of those guys on my projects, but um, yeah, you can find them on my website uh, and you can order them to download um, from soundkeeper.com, soundkeeperrecordings.com. Mm. I'll make sure I'll add that in the, in the um, discussion, um, not discussion, but the details below, um, soundkeeper.com. Um, yeah, listen, this is this this whole thing of just the way that you guys recorded and because everybody does cut and paste now. And was it difficult, you know, to, to do it that way? Or um, did it just flow so simple? You didn't you didn't feel that you had to um, retouch anything? Um, I'm sorry, there's somebody knocking at my door. Um, <laughs> and I'm the only one home. So I'm gonna have to run up and get that in a second. But uh, oh, okay. Um, it's a great question. Yes, it was challenging. Um, I don't know if there's a way to pause for a minute and I could just go yeah. this guy in. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> right, be, I will be back in like 30 seconds. Okay. 
Yeah. That was, let me tell you something. There's a lot about percussion that people don't know. In my opinion, I feel that Americans don't really appreciate the levels of percussion and how difficult that shit is and how great it is. And we need to bring that back. I just got to say that before Marcus comes back because <laughs> I'm not going to edit this out at all because it's important that I say this, that, yo, listen, like percussion is, people should dive into it. It's really, really good. It's it's a lot to learn the history, the culture, learning how these instruments were created. They they may look simple to you, but when you play them, you're like, wow, these this is actually very complicated. For instance, like the maracas. Maracas are very complicated to play, guys. And they use them here for the kids. And I always get mad when I see that. But that's just the percussion that's in me. That's just like, oh, God, how about you teach these kids some rhythms? Um, Here he is. He's back. <laughs> Sorry about that, my friend. No problem. I was just talking to the audience about how percussion is just so underplayed here in the American culture. And there's just so much you can yeah. just learn so many instruments. Like even people create their own instruments out of percussion, like like Cecil, like if I say this name right from um, Brazil, dope ass dope ass history about percussion and just learning how they were made, you know, just talk about the drums and stuff. We use those drums to, 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 to bring out rebellions and stuff. The drums were banned as you talked about before, you know, they were not allowed. <laughs> it's very true. And, um, you know, like any traditional music, but I feel like because of the spiritual nature of, of percussion and especially African percussion, it's even more deeper in this way. What the thing I'm talking about is sort of, the idea that traditional music incorporates language, history, culture, spirituality, so many things, you know? So it, once you start peeling back the layers, it's just deeper and deeper. And, you know, I, I like to say it's like the better swimmer you become, the deeper the ocean gets because you can go further and further into it. And that's kind of what music is in general. Um, but yeah, the, the world of percussion is, um, I, I had this quote, um, I've, I've had a one foot on the West Coast and one foot on the East Coast for years. Um, that's sort of my family history anyway. So mm -hmm. I lived in California for a long time and mm -hmm. there was uh, anywhere you go in major cities around this country, especially in places like Chicago, Detroit, um, the Bay Area, certainly New York, Miami there if you're looking into the drum communities there's always going to be a legacy of elders that have taught the youngers because it's an oral tradition it's passed down from person to person and one person affects many and then those people each affect many and that's how it spreads and that's how it stays alive um mm -hmm. You know, yeah, so I was explaining that to my girlfriend yesterday because she were talk we were watching Drumline and she was shocked that some the the main character Nick Cannon couldn't read music and I was like explaining her a lot of musicians are like that but in particular drummers because it's a like you said it's an oral tradition that's how yeah. I learned I learned from Mario Mario taught me how to play and he showed me the the techniques and everything. We didn't never read any music. We just yeah. played. <laughs> yeah, there's been attempts to um, get it down to you know impose. I say impose a Western aesthetic onto the music, and it is. It's imposing something that's not a natural fit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's there's no way to capture feeling and vibration on a piece of paper and pen. Right. You know, and there's a lot of very subtle things that happen in drumming. There's what we call ghost notes. There's mm -hmm. um, syncopation. There's things that you can see and feel, but you can't necessarily hear them. So if you're trying to learn just from a recording, you may get some of it. If mm -hmm. you're trying to look, read from a book and listen to a recording, you might get a little more, but until you sit and use your eyes and your ears and your heart to pick it up, you're not going to get all of it because there is 
something that needs to be transmitted live and direct, you know? Right. Um, but what I was going to say is one of the elders, even back when I was, you know, a young student, um, there was a guy out in the Bay Area named uh, Yagbe Onilu. Um, that's a, a Yoruba word. And he's actually of Haitian descent, um, but he also is part Cuban. And he also spent years traveling back and forth to Nigeria, which is he's very, very deep, especially in the Yoruba culture. Um, awesome. So. Uh, I saw a quote from him. He's a he's an elder, and he's somebody that has a lot of students, and that he lectures extensively on sort of African spirituality, uh, centering from the drum and from music in in general. And he wrote that uh, sound is power, and the first sound we hear is the pulse of our mother's blood. Drumming is the musical expression of this primal power. And rhythm is a means of organizing sound into specific energy formulas to harmonize the mind and the body. Chanting, rhythmic breathing, and drumming form an ancient technology for directly synchronizing the mind-body complex, creating conditions for psychological, physical, and emotional healing. A drum is a voice, and when it speaks, we must listen and honor the message which, with our best and noblest self, for it is a voice with great power, and it is a voice that is a gift to us from a greater being. And I thought that was a, just, he's sort of a poetic cat, as you can tell. He's a real God scholar. God, that's deep. <laughs> he's a real scholar, but he's also a master drummer and uh, mm. a, a culture bearer, you know? So I give respect to Chief Yagbe. Um, and wherever you go, in those communities, you're going to find people like that. And, you know, what you said before about getting information from the Haitian community as a, a very good thing too, man, because I find that a lot of times we're segregated into our own little scene. You know, um, I've met so many people in Brooklyn that have told me they don't know any Haitians. I'm like, how can you not know any Haitians and you live in Brooklyn? There's <laughs> right. hundreds, literally <laughs> hundred thousand Haitians living in Brooklyn. You know, if you're in Bridgeport, <laughs> Connecticut, and you don't know right. any Haitians, you need to get out more. You need to expand. I know a your lot of Haitians and, in you know? Bridgeport. <laughs> it, it's just, it's just, you know, I just threw those two out as examples for me and you. Right. you know, But mm -hmm. it's, it's true, man. You gotta, you gotta interact with your communities, and that's where you're gonna get the real information. You're not gonna get it from CNN or MSNBC or New York Times or, you know. Yeah. Well, Marcus, I don't want to take any more of your time. I want to thank you so much for coming on. We're getting down to the wire. Cool. Um, you you are definitely a breed that we need a lot more of in this world because we 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 just do. And I, which is why I am so privileged that I've come to, to have met you and saw you play and listen to your music. Um, you definitely have had a huge uh inspiration in my life especially on the percussion level i don't think i ever told you that but <laughs> i wanted to i just wanted to like give you your flowers thank, thank you man. so much because it's 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 so important to keep this alive and 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 keep it branching and keep it going because like you said it's oral tradition and we don't want our oral tradition to ever die out ever <laughs> Yes, and uh, you know, shout out to Eric Rabaska and Light Warriors for bringing us together yep. in the first place. Yep, definitely. I, I appreciate that very much, man. I'll take my flowers when I can get them and mm -hmm. send some back your way. So we'll uh, we'll stay in touch, man. Keep up the great yeah, work. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marcus. All and right. Have man. a good day, brother. You too. And for everyone that's listening, definitely check out the link below that is going to be on the description at the bottom of anchor um to support the show um uh, no amount matters it could be a dollar four dollars ten dollars whatever whatever your heart content to definitely support the show helps me bring out more content help me bring out more people and better content better stuff more cameras i got a new camera Shout out to the person that donated to help me get a new camera. So it all goes to the show and you get more real conversation like we just had just now. So again, without further ado, this is the climax. And thank you so much for listening. 
and have a very, very lovely day. Blank period, yeah. I'm a black, brown, and indigenous. Gotta holla if you really feeling this. Gotta holla if you really real enough. Other rappers is delirious. Yeah, it's really that serious. Better holla if you really feeling me. I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy. If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy. We gonna win in the end, yeah. We gonna live in abundance. Ooh, I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy. If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy. We gonna win in the end, yeah. We gonna, we gonna, we gonna. I gotta keep it a hundred. We gotta stop all the stunting. You know we coming from nothing. Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing. We gotta do something different. We gotta change how we living. We gotta do better for women. We gotta do better for children. We gotta listen to victims, whether Jewish or Muslim or Christian. It doesn't matter your religion. You gotta stand against the system, or else you're just another villain. How you just sitting there chilling?